Spring is in the air, Johnny. Oh, Spring forward, flowers, colors bursting, all that crap. It's talk about that, man. It's the day after we sprung forward. That's right. Yeah. We lost an hour. Yeah. It's gone. You're, you're listening to this with one less hour of sleep. They're right trying now. to vote in their thing. To- I think, uh, what's the guy, uh... What's the guy who almost, uh, with that uh, Rubio? Is he trying to change it? He's trying to make it permanent. So where it always stays like this. Yeah. I would agree with that. I could go, I could get on board for that. It's just funny to me that that's like what they're worried about. No, you know what? I need a lot going on. I need something trivial to worry about. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think like, I could get behind this platform. (laughs) Somebody, somebody keep daylight savings time and I can, I can stay on board. So you would keep it, you would keep it just... When it gets dark at like four. What was the, the original part? It was about farming, right? Yeah, I think so. And uh, it's just a lot. I mean, I, I'm say not sure. I don't know that there's a lot less farming. It feels like there's, it feels like farming is more, it's like more of like a. Industrialized. Yeah. yeah. Industrialized, government subsidized. Man, entity. I don't know if our farming demographic that listens to the podcast got super offended right then. Well, no, I'm that. saying like some people even get subsidized not to farm. Like you have all this land and they pay you X amount so that they can have right. a monopoly, yeah, right? Well, no, it's because it, too much can cause inflation. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so it's an economic Is that like the people control. that say if, well, if we don't kill all the deer, they'll run over and form their own governments? <laughs> Dude, they are rising up in my neighborhood. I'm not going to lie. You cannot drive down my street yeah. without going very slow any time of day. Like there are deer No, everywhere. I'm on board with that. I used to, be, I used to make fun of that, but I, I have, I, I'm on board with that now. Like you gotta, we gotta hunt, but I don't have to hunt. But I'm, I, I think you. Ought but they're to. out there. I don't think. Wait, I coffee do and hunting. That would be. I can't do it. There was an eight point buck right here at the church, uh, right after the ice storm. I came over here. It's, Is that like how far away you shoot him? You get more points. Help me understand. <laughs> it's like a three pointer. I mean, his antlers. Oh, I know what a okay. point. I know what the points are, John. That's stupid. Yeah, there was a. There's I mean, a lot I'm, of deer here. I'm close enough. No, yeah, there are, and uh, I always think it's funny when they, because, you know, Mount Julie, is one of those towns where, I moved here 13 years ago, and we got a, we had a shopping center coming in, but people people loved talking about, when I lived here five years ago, this was all just fields, and they would, you know, people loved doing that, like, it was nothing but fields. We ate dirt, and we liked it. But they would put in, you know, one housing development after another as I lived here longer, and a lot of them are funnily like there's one that's called uh deer run and i was like <laughs> that's what they're doing <laughs> they are yeah they run when you bring a bulldozer into their house you know <laughs> uh, oh the poor deer where yeah. did deer that's the thing i thought the other day where do they go at night don't they bed down but oh, do they now my hunting friends that's really what i'm are saying is like, like is there a they don't have a nest what do they just go find a spot under a tree and just yeah, Go to they, sleep. They do kind of. They it's bedding down. Do they man. huddle together in a group? You know that I'm not is sure. They're a deer, like like a collective. Yeah, like a like a yeah, like a small group <laughs> where they they take turns. Oh, the deer collective. Uh, if only. And, and here's I love it. Like we have friends right now yelling, yeah, yeah just yeah. screaming. But I just they're the kind in of thing, camo right now. That's the kind of thing you never. I never really think about like. Do you ever like? Does a hunter? Is it his dream to like walk up on a a deer collective? A deer? Oh God, just a I ma- found the hive. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found a queen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and again, I took a hunter safety course when I was a kid. Yeah. 
you know, and I have a carry permit. So I mean, I'm I'm a I'm not a I'm not like you. No. In that I'm near in so many ways. Right. But I only went hunting like once or twice, and it just just it's a little bit like mm-hmm. it's like golf for me. Like I really enjoy golf, but do I want to pay sixty five dollars that many times to suck at something? You know what I'm saying? Well, you get better though eventually at golf, right? Maybe you know how much you have to invest to, to get better. It's a lot. Like natural athletes don't have to invest. I'm sure. I don't know. Golf is one of those things you need to learn the rules. You need to learn your swing and all that. You need training. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is when Tiger Woods stopped being able to play golf well. Then wow. I was like, "Wow, that that speaks to me." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I can, I can, I empathize, or he empathizes with me. I'm not sure which one. But there he was knows like, what it's like to be immortal. Yeah, like. He was Not immortal, a mortal. He was yeah. immortal, and then suddenly he was yeah. mortal. And I was like, "Hey, welcome, welcome to my life." Yeah, you know how you accept he still made millions of dollars and had endorsement deals, and his worst day was better than my best day of golf by a thousand years. But other than that, exactly the same. Yeah. So you don't you don't rejoice in other people's like you something yeah. like when a comedian bombs, you never go. <laughs> Like Man, just for a little bit inside, you're like, yeah. "Yep, that's that's happened to me too." I try not to, but it's hard, so hard not to. Or like, here's what I here's what, here's one thing I find myself doing: if somebody is has like a funny bit, or if they have a they're starting to get a following, I'll be like, "Oh no!" And it'll be like somebody that's maybe a peer of mine. Oh boy, and I'll go to their accounts, and if they don't, I've expect them to have a million followers or whatever, and if they've only got like ten thousand followers, I'm like. And I like, okay. I'll let myself off the hook. Like, yeah. well, they're not blowing by me yet. Yeah, it just gives you like an excuse to relax. It's so dumb, but it is. Because if they're doing like huge stuff, you're like, oh no, this is. Yeah, you should just focus on your own self. It's like that's what golf should teach you. Is like you're playing against the course. You're not playing against Tiger. Yeah, you can't be. You can only beat the Tiger within. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tame your own tiger. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I, Best wishes to Tiger, by the way. He's recouping. Yeah, I know. He had I the know. leg injury. I know that was horrible. Yeah, that's brutal. I had to cut him out of the car, didn't they? Yeah, jaws of life. Yeah, that's awful. No, and no. I hope he's. I don't know. I don't know what. Do they ever figure out what ever happened? Does anybody know? There's obviously, you know, we're guessing. Do we know if chemicals were involved with this? I heard that there was nothing of that sort huh. that was charged. I mean, I've had, you know, I had a wreck one time where I was going a little faster on a curve with my buddy in the car. I was 18 and gigantic car, Buick Electra, 1973, gigantic car. We call it the Ark because you could fit two of every living thing in it. I hydroplaned. The road was a little wet. Hydroplaned like four different ways before hitting a telephone pole on the right side of the road with the left side of my car. Hmm. That's how far turned around I was. Yeah. And um, folded the car around. It was just back when cars were made of steel. Otherwise, I'd be dead. And uh, so, yeah, it can happen. I just... Was, no way you I was hot dogging a little bit, and I was going faster than I probably should have, but not like fast, fast, but I was going faster than I should have. A little wet road, old car, old, old brakes. Tires. Old tires. And it just all combined for like, and when they showed up at the scene, single car accident, when they showed up at the scene, they gave me a reckless driving ticket. They tested me for everything. Yeah. Because they just assumed that I was a drunk or high 
kid, and they should have, because that's when you see a single car accident, the way that one looked, you're like, this. There's definitely chemicals involved, but there wasn't. Turns out they're like, you know, Mr. He's Wed- just an idiot. Mr. Wed- <laughs> <laughs> you tested positive for stupid. Your your cholesterol's <laughs> off the chart, but uh, yeah. not sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, that's a. Uh, you know, old cars. I think about all that we talk about that, all the dumb things I did when I was a kid. Yeah, I told you the dumbest thing, right? Did I talk about that on the podcast? The, where you were? I don't remember if you talked about it on the podcast. Oh, so we were coming back from a basketball game up in Clarksville, and we made so it was like five people in my car, five people in someone else's car, and we decided to race. Yeah, as you do, and, and I had the nineteen. 19- 86 Plymouth Sundance. It's a gem of a car. <laughs> it was, it was, it was 13. They don't, they don't make those anymore. That's how good they That's, are. <laughs> oh, I tell you, collectors. I it was already a lemon when I bought it. I just didn't know it at the time. I was so excited. It was $1,300 in an auction. And, yeah. uh, and so like I pay more than that for repairs sometimes, mm. you know, Wow, John! Wow, John can't hide money. I, I'm just saying, like I didn't spend realize... that on an oil change. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, I don't know why we decided. So we raced in the interstate. Now, look, that's totally safe. It's interstate racing, right? It's wide open, and the car would probably nobody ever has accidents on the interstate. No, never. Well, we got off the exit, and of course, the car I was racing was like a much newer, like a Honda Civic, and I st- stuck with it. Yeah. And uh, we got off the exit, and we were heading to the school, and whoever rated the school first won. And we were down Old Hickory Boulevard over by my house in Madison area, yeah. which you remember. It was a very, very, very busy road, mm-hmm. and we were losing. And I just had this moment of stupid, oh no, like just stupid adrenaline. Yeah. And I was pretty sensible. I think I was pretty sensible. Yeah. I, don't, I was not, apparently. No. And it was a double yellow line around a curve, <sighs> and I knew they'd never expect it. And I just gunned you it. You know why they don't expect it? Because you'll die. <laughs> and I just gunned it with five kids in my car. And I passed on a curve. And I don't even, if I go to that road today, there's never a moment it's not filled with cars. I don't know how a car didn't come. Yeah. And I could have literally killed myself, a bunch of other kids, all in a Plymouth Sundance for right. racing. I doubt we were wearing seatbelts back then. Like, you just go. We cut them out in my car. Like, just, what is these even for? <laughs> what is this in the way? And I just look back and I just go, thank you, God, because, I mean, like, there was a. Yeah. You just. And that's hard because I think I had been raised correctly to not do things like that, but I did it. Yeah. I didn't do it all the time, but you just you go. You feel invincible as a kid. Yeah. You don't think about this half second decision could destroy my life. What's your underdeveloped frontal lobe or whatever? Like you're not there yet. Yeah. Uh, and so you just go, how can you like, this is the, so, so this is Do some people's frontal lobe never develop and that's, so they never get out of that risk taking behavior thing. They just never get right. I'm not a neurologist. I don't know if you didn't do that or not, but (laughs) I think I hear my wife say that, or maybe it's her cerebral cortex. I don't know. She says big words, whatever it is that makes you feel right. A rush, and you feel like you're going to get away with things. Whatever right? it is that helps you remember what that's called, that never developed in me. Oh, uh, that's a shame. <laughs> so it's like a inverted. Anyway, I, I just go Something wrong with your medulla. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Tennessee basketball is playing right now in the SEC tournament. Yeah, I have no idea. And thank God this is. I listened on the way over here. By the way, did you really? Yeah. What is wrong with you? Well, I don't care. You don't have a recording. I'm not in radio silence. Wow. Plus, I wanted to just like to try to read my face now <laughs> as to how it was going. <laughs> I don't. Uh, well, it's the last team we just we the last team played the regular season was Florida and we won and we were down by fourteen and came back and won and now we have to play them again in the SEC tournament and yeah, the best player. It's hard back. to beat a team twice in a row like that. So yeah, I'm a little nervous about it. But in any at any rate, 
they do a thing on their Instagram stories or their IGTV that's like – it's called TMU and it's the uh, – I don't know what it stands for. Too but, much information. Yeah. <laughs> and the two seniors, one is yeah. Eve Pons, who's from France. He was adopted from Haiti. He's, he's French. But uh, and I he he actually it's so funny. He said he was teaching the other guy who's from Kingsport, the other senior, John yeah. Fulgerson, how to speak French and trying to get John Fulgerson in his deep southern accent to say any of the French words. I mean, it was hilarious. And so at one point he put this really long sentence out. And he was like, what is this? Like, you know, and he kept mm-hmm. trying to say it. he couldn't say it. And Eve Pons' sentence was, uh, alligators are ornery because they got all those teeth <laughs> and no toothbrush. And they hear this huge Frenchman say yeah. alligators are ornery. sounds like such a sophisticated <laughs> sentence. It was... Yeah, that's the thing. Of like, when you hear some language, it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. And they could be saying the most crass <laughs> thing. You don't even know. Yeah, We're watching uh, Narcos. Oh. You ever watch that? No. So it's about the history of the drug cartels. Gotcha. So it's very like intense. Bob, you know, Pablo Escobar mm-hmm. is the first whole. There's four seasons with Pablo Escobar and the Colombians, and why Colombian was the you know the cocaine capital of the world, and how ruthless the cartels were, and he had to kill off the other cartel. It was crazy. There's this drug war, and how the U.S. got involved, and now I'm watching Narcos Mexico, which is how the Mexicans became involved, and. But it's you have to. It's one of those shows you can't watch passively because you're reading because it's so much of it's in Spanish. Yeah. But it's amazing how they'll be saying this flowery thing, and it's basically it's like kill that mother, <laughs> you know. And you're like, whoa, hey, yeah. that sounded better in Spanish. It's beautiful. It sounded it's, more romantic. It's and, a beautiful romance language. Yeah. Yeah, you know they're called romance languages because not because they're romantic. They're right. From Rome. Right. They, okay. They come from so romance language: English, French, Spanish, Italian are romance languages because right. they. Are they they come downstream from? Well, how do we get romantic to mean you know having to do with love and because of because you it's like a were a, they known a, as a, an extra loving people? Was well, romanticized because I would I would get venture to say yeah say that because there's a time in life where especially during the Middle Ages Dark Ages when you look back society was better and behind oh, you oh it's like you're looking at the Halcyon days of Rome right during Rome that was that was the you know. We still do it, yeah. With that, with that time period, actually, like, yep. or with us, I think it's with women. I always talk about it's like medieval, anything medieval, kings and queens. That's why we love the royal family, kings and queens and knights and chivalry. Yeah, but you would and, not want to live during those times. No, let me tell you, unless you're the king. Yeah, it's bad. Even it's then. great until you got to go to the bathroom, you know, yeah. or get a tooth pulled. Or they had uh, the indoor plumbing in Rome. Yeah, yeah, it really was better. So <laughs> the aqueducts. Yeah. <laughs> You, you said they, that the aqueducts. Didn't like, they invent yeah. the aqueducts? Yeah, the Romans, the Romans, yeah, the Rome, running water. The Romans, they did. They yeah. did. They did not have electricity, Johnny. No, I mean they had it. They just didn't know. No one ever invented that. <sighs> they they discovered. had not discovered that yet. Yeah, yeah. Benjamin, do you do you Benjamin. believe, by the way, in electricity? <laughs> do you believe? I, I'm not one of those quacks that believes in electricity, you, John. You certainly believe that other Europeans had stepped foot on North American soil long before Christopher Columbus, right? Yeah. The Vikings. Well, didn't, uh, well we had Amerigo Vespucci, right? Wasn't that what America's really technically named after is? Uh, yeah, but. And he had the Vikings. He's he had the... post, I think. Oh, okay. I think he was a map. If I remember, he was a cartographer, perhaps. Who, so he got the name because his name was Amerigo. But I don't, they just called it the New World at first. But yes, long before, like, dude, Curse Smoke Island, bro. 
Okay. You still haven't watched it, have well, you? Well, no, because it's one of those shows where I feel like it's rigged. Where you, everybody's looking for treasure the whole time, and they're going to like, look, I found it! They've buried it, a bag of coins the night before. They haven't found any treasure, It's really. like Storage Wars. Didn't so, they find out Storage Wars was fake? Maybe. And it lost a lot of viewership after that. But this stuff... Unless they're really, really... So they have... Like, hide this Ming vase in the back of this storage shed. (laughs) I'm going to have this redneck find it and take it to a collector. But but they have multiple archaeologists now. Multiple? Multiple? (laughs) (laughs) They have multiple. They have many archaeologists now on the show. So, like, they would lose all of their street cred in the archaeology community if this was rigged. But what they're finding is often wood... So, Johnny, you tell me this. They did find this, and they have it all tested now with all these scientists. And okay. Stuff. They find wood 200 feet below ground, 100 feet below ground. Johnny, 100 feet's a long way. Yes. Below ground that dates back to the 1600s. What does that mean? Well, there's all these tunnels. Like these tunnels. So they have had searchers for years. And they call it the money pit. And there is – so. Someone discovered this, and every ten feet there were these boards or yeah. these these sorry these oak trees that are lashed together, and then they got like a hundred ninety feet. There was like a some encrypted sign on it that said certain number of feet below two hundred pound two million pounds are buried or something like that. But there's all these flood tunnels, so there's something happened there. They found Johnny human bone. Okay. Okay. Two sets of human bone in one of their drill sites that was like again 150 feet below ground carbon dated one to a european and one to a middle eastern from like the 1600s now you tell me how does human bone get 150 feet below ground that, that scientifically dates back to that time period uh-huh. someone was underground they built tunnels and they've done something under there so like it's yeah either that or and they call it the money pit like you would with an old house <laughs> Because you just throw right. money at it and nothing ever comes of it. Well, for years and years and years. It's a wasted investment. Yeah. Is that what you're saying to me? Well, there, here's, herein lies the problem. Okay. It's like Franklin Roosevelt was one of the searchers. with so All these different companies over the years. So they discovered this in like 1796 or something like that. They discovered their money pit. And people have been digging ever since. And so different companies come, lose everything. Another guy buys it. Guys have lived on the island until they died. And so, and they'll find all these artifacts. That's the thing. The artifacts, I mean, thousands of artifacts, British military buttons from the 1700s. Um, they found coin. The, the, the big thing they found was a cross, a lead cross that dates back to medieval time that they car- They took to Europe. They went to France and it is a Knights Templar type cross okay and they, now you're now we're getting yeah, into something that's the big thing is the, did the knights templar bring when they were fleeing uh, sure they brought religious artifacts treasure other things over to nova scotia and so there's all this history that says they did they did something but they're the knights templar i mean so they're you know not telling you exactly what they're doing but this cross this lead cross they found mm-hmm. has been dated or excuse me has they can i don't know what that was not carbon they can tell you from which quarry it came from, and it came from a certain quarry in France that's like three or four miles from a Knights Templar prison where, the, where they were in prison, where they were there, and then they were in prison. And it's, there's like drawings on the wall from like the 1500s, 1400s that are identical to this cross. So like there's all this really cool stuff that you can't – like I don't think you could just plant that. I don't know how you would plant that. It would be a pretty elaborate – 
Maybe someone will find that they have, but I would know. say most drawings of a cross look similar, though. No, no, no. It's got a very. It's got like the loop across the top, and the one side comes All out right, like it's a Templar John. cross. It's okay. A, Didn't they uh, have the Holy Grail thing going on too? The Knights Templar weren't they looking for the Holy Grail? Well, they think that perhaps the Ark of the Covenant, because the Knights, oh, right. the Knights Templar, they think from the Crusades, it's possible that they had they had rescued. Mm-hmm. items from underneath Solomon's temple and taking them into custody to protect them. And so that perhaps they went and buried this thing 200 feet with all these. Of course, the nice Templar are the, uh, again, I'm not a, I'm not telling you all this is true. I'm telling you these are the theories on the show, Johnny. Right. I'm not telling you I believe all this as mm-hmm. it is. But they're the predecessors of the Freemasons. Yeah. So, which of course do stonework and all this. So they're architects basically. So, yeah. So they're pretty smart it's a guys. secret of society. Right. But pretty smart people who could do a lot of stoneworking, woodworking, other things that they would know how to dig a tunnel, hide things, put, put you know, booby traps, all this stuff around it. So, um, this is Indiana Jones kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's fascinating because something, here's what I know. I think every episode they find wood that they date or whatever, like, and they found all kinds of coins, all kinds of other things. They have found a few pieces of like jewelry, treasure type things. Could have been someone living on the island looking, but they date back to the 1600s. Sometimes even earlier. Curse of Oak Island on History Channel. This is—they're not a sponsor, but I like that show. We don't have any sponsors. We need some sponsors. That'd be nice if you'd like to be a sponsor. Yeah, we're, we're listening. Yeah, you're listening, and now, now we're listening. We're listening to you. Isn't that nice? Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. We'd love to hear. <laughs> love to hear from you. It's okay. <laughs> so I had a call today on a book. It was something interesting. We were talking through some things after the fact, and I got vulnerable and shared some things. And because uh, it's kind of what the book is is about, and uh, and then I found myself backing it up, like you know, hey, but I'm okay, you know, because I'm trying to be professional. I'm the writer on it, and they used a, a term that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, they said because they're like professional counselors, kind of thing, and and they said and coaches, they were like, you know, that thing you're doing when you're backing up your vulnerability, which we actually like it that you're doing that because that's what we're all about. <laughs> it was like you know we we call that. Um, a shame hangover. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting, people do that. So they, the gospel calls you to share your life and you're struggling with this or you're just having this feeling, this emotion, you share it. Do you feel that ever? And I, and they were like, as soon as you hang up the phone, you're like, oh crap, what did I do? You know, I've yeah. said too much. That's a shame hangover. Or if someone's in the middle of it, you're like, but I'm okay now. Don't, yeah. don't think this is going to affect my ability to do the job. Yeah, it was really just what I was telling doing. you what I'm going yeah. through. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm still a professional. I could still, you know. I can put this on the back burner and yeah. not let it invade the work. They're like, this is the work. Right. The work yeah. is about not putting things in the back burner. So, yeah. And they said that you could write this and not connect with it, and that'd be fine. But we think it'd be way better if you wrote it and did connect with it, you know, mm. and like you were experiencing it as you went, you know. So there's such an interesting, I wonder how many of us, you know, we talk all about authenticity and community and sharing, you know, life, and then I wonder how many people, I think they do immediately are, there's a regret. Yeah. Because you've let your real self be seen, you know. Well, that's the thing about this show over the years, because now we're in like year three or something of doing this show, right? Yep. And I don't even know if I could get, I don't know if I've not listened back to old, old episodes. I've listened to probably like, I've gone back like 20 or so and listened to one every now and then just to see like what the tenor of the show was. But I don't know if I could, like the earlier ones, I don't know. From day one, I think I'm a very open book person. I don't really know what else to do. Right. But be yourself. But I think it's definitely gotten more 
it's almost like a reality show when you forget you can tell they forget the cameras are on they start being themselves more and then they whatever repellent part of their personality <laughs> comes out they can't help it but i mean sometimes that's good and bad but i just don't know what else i would not know what else to do and i wouldn't know what the point of doing a show because it's not like we're famous so people aren't listening to this because like oh i want to hear what this famous person has to say about this right so the show is us so they might not agree with our opinion or what our take on life is but the least we can do is give them our take right and be like unvarnished about it and then you go agree with me disagree with me and i may disagree with myself six months from now which that's probably happened on the show Mm-hmm. With us, like if if I did go back, there'd probably be a few things where I'd be like, "Man, I don't even I don't even feel that way, or I don't feel as strongly, or I have new information, or I have more empathy towards this people group that I wasn't counting in. I was being dismissive here, and now I wouldn't be so dismissive because I know better now." And some people would yeah. say that's me becoming a snowflake, and some people would say that's growth, that's intense growth because you've mm-hmm. you're developing uh, whatever empathy. Yeah, I think I think that the that you just hit on a major nerve in the central nervous system of society right now is, you know, when somebody, I hate to use this word, but evolves in some form or fashion. Yeah. And I think there's a, a fear. Like that's either perceived as weakness or it's perceived as flip flopping on something. You get or it's, yeah. you think if this is, if I now think this, does that mean everything else like if you have a uh, belief, for instance, if you have trauma from church yeah, and you go, well, I need to really address this, but you put it in the back of your mind all through your twenties and thirties. And then I get into my forties. I'm like, I really need to address this thing, but your unlike un- your, your underlying fear and maybe the fear of people who are in your tribe is that if you address this, it's this linchpin thing that now everything is going to. Yeah, you know, be uh, rendered uh, inert by you addressing this one traumatic element of your upbringing in faith. Like your faith will go away if you go, man, my pastor was really misogynistic or man. Remember that time there was clear abuse going on in my church and my pastor said that we weren't going to report it. We were going to like those kind of things are happening and people's stories are coming out. Yeah. And it's almost like people are being told to keep quiet because they're afraid the underpinnings of your faith go are so attached to that, that like ad- not addressing the trauma is this brave thing. And yeah. I just don't feel that anymore. I feel like we got to go, if we really believe what we say, we believe we got to just be real and then say, let the chips fall where they may. And th- and you hope that what you believe can stand on its own outside of this, of these underpinnings. Yeah, there is that 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 is the great fear of deconstruction is that yeah there'll be nothing left there'll be no foundation there'll be no studs left to hang yeah, your I mean, drywall I was just, on you yeah know? I mean I don't think my mom raised me to just blindly believe she she had her reasons to believe she was an intelligent person but there was definitely not I did not grow up with a very uh, open to questions household. As far as like I was open to questions about like the universe, but the answers were always in the Bible or it always came back to a, well, this is what we believe about this. And, uh, and so everything flowed from that, not came back to, in other words, if you had a belief, 
that did it. If you had a question about something and then you go, yeah, but then with this, and it, it led to another question, you'd start to feel like their face change on you. Like, mm-hmm. uh, he's getting close to the edge, right? <laughs> and um, so it discourages you from uh, asking hard questions or even like, just like you say, addressing uh, like we're, we've been dealing for the past year uh, plus on like is the system of our country and did the church get in bed with nationalism to the point where now the church has absolved itself of uh, bigotry. So if we believe that a, a system that we are part of has inherent bigotry, what do we do? Do we not address it? Do we throw everything out and say, well, all the forefathers were slaveholders and therefore America is just guilty of the sin of racism and nothing good can ever come from America. That's right. the fear of the far right is that right. when you address something and say, I'm calling this out, that you're now going to have to just wash your hands of all of it. You want to throw it all away. Yeah. If we let Colin Kaepernick have this one, then that's the beginning of the end. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the fear. But it's like if we the other thing is to not address it and just walk around like, no, no, everything's all good because it's all redeemed and we're whatever. And like, no, there's bad things have happened and we need to at least have own, take ownership of it. So we're just honest here. And so that's the hard part is like if you like the show, it's because it's not even necessarily that you agree with us. But there is something to like we don't really hold back, you know. Uh, at least we try not to. There was a time when I think before we we wouldn't even necessarily say Trump's name, but we would say mm-hmm. we had problems with leadership or we would say, man, I don't like the way this is happening or there was an underlying. And then when the Capitol insurgents happened, we were like, you know what? It's time to really like. Right. Th- we need to say where we stand on this at least. And um, but and I'm sure that we've I don't maybe we've gained some people, maybe we've lost some people, but I just I felt like there's it was a time to say something and uh i don't still know that you need to make a whole like career out of saying that over and over again but it was definitely like i wanted people to know where we stood so i don't think we've held back but i don't know people do respond to vulnerability though no matter what no matter what even if i don't agree with somebody but i can see they're real yeah and i can feel like okay well this is this is what it's not like saying speaking their truth i hate that but they're 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 talking their 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 lenses are up and you can see they're saying it through a lens but at least you go well I get where they're coming from you know I can put aside political differences if I can at least see like all right well I see how you came to that conclusion you know I was reminded this week I I was a, I I made some mistakes in a conversation I was reminded that you know by somebody who wasn't thinking like I was that I maybe was coming off really um, elitist or dismissive or self-righteous and they said you know the the way that people reach me is by acknowledging they can see more than one side Mm -hmm. and which i assume i'm doing but everybody assumes that they're seeing both sides and choosing the right side right right or even acknowledging (laughs) that there's any validity of the other side and i think if there's a spot i mean again if you want to be real and, and and vulnerable um i think yeah, that's a spot. What happens is for all of us is you become at first you see both sides because maybe you had both sides in you. And then when you begin to, again, deconstruct and go, wow, this is not right. It's easy. I have I think in my own life I'm guilty of 
coming to a place where it's like, look, if <laughs> I can't entertain that side anymore. And the assumption for me is, is I spent my whole life entertaining that side. I don't need to give it anymore. Yeah. And I just assume then that those I'm speaking with will know, well, of course I know the merits of that. I actually ascribe to some of those merits for a long time. So I don't feel a need to lay out all the reasons why I see the merits of that. You know, I know the merits of that. Yeah. And that's probably a, a faulty assumption. I'm no longer giving because then you come off very much, you know, one sided. Um, there are merits to all the things of our childhood, all the things there's merits to conservatism politically. There's merits to obviously evangelical Christianity. Um, and I think that in the deconstruction, you're right. There's a fear. Uh, what I want is safety. Like as a, as a six or just as a person, like I want yeah. safety. I don't mean like cowardly safety. I want things to work and be right. I want there to be a place where people can grow and that relationships are real. Like I, you know, I hate small talk. I don't know how to do it very well. I have to conjure small talk. And I realized this week, one of the categories of small talk for me is there's something unresolved between us. And we're really not dealing with it. Yeah. So we're just making nice. You just talk about the weather or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Because we can't yet or we're not there. And that feels so disingenuous to me. Right. That I will end up pushing too hard maybe when it needs some time. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not, it's not, you know. I uh, think everybody wants to feel safe though. I just think that the way I used to go about feeling safe has changed because the way I used to feel safe was certainty. I had, yeah. I could know that I was right about what was wrong with the world and who was responsible and what they needed to do to fix it. And if they just could see things the way that I see them, everything would be good. And when that certainty uh, started to slip away, you'd see other, you'd see other positions, you'd see other life, you know, you'd see other lives out there and you'd begin to have empathy. Oh, maybe this isn't, you know, we talked about, yeah, I used to be a pro death penalty. I'm not pro death penalty anymore because you see enough, you see enough true crime documentaries about how there's two justice systems in the world. There's a justice system for people that have money and there's a justice system for people who don't. Yeah. And you realize how many people are on death row that don't belong there. You start thinking, well, this is, this is wrong. This is, uh, this is wrong. And this is not the way of a Christ follower. Uh, and so my opinion has changed on that. But when I was certain about, well, people who do bad things end up in jail. And then if they do something that's a, capital offense then they get put to death and that's just that certainty is like a uh, it's a solace to you because you can feel like the world is punishing the right people and it's letting the other people go the right people are getting let off and the right people are being punished and when you can have that certainty well look nothing bad's going to happen they're they, the jury of their peers and our system was set and the founding fathers you do all these things and you do these mental gymnastics and when you start seeing holes chipped away at it it does a number on you and that certainty that uh, you don't feel safe anymore in that. And so when I meet people who are still very certain of of how they feel or their political beliefs are like an idol to them in a lot of ways, which that can happen on both sides of the aisle. But it's like, um, I don't know if I'm, it, it's like I feel sorry for them, but it's like a, I remember that for sure. Yeah. Like you say, when you go, when somebody says, well, they should know how I feel because I used to feel some of that same stuff. Like, that certainty is this – it's part of them trying to make sense of the world. Well, poor people are poor, yes, but here's why they're poor. Right. 
And then you start saying, well, no, actually, I know a lady and she works four jobs. Yeah, but did she go? Did she finish her education? Well, actually, she couldn't because, you know, her mother, uh, her father died when she was very young and she had to take care of her older sister. And so she never got to. Well, yeah, but there's got to be some reason like that's that's the part of how I grew up that most stings when I think about it. And the most I want to say shame. But it's the most uh, awkward feeling that I have when I think about that I could put people in little quadrants based on what I assumed their life choices were and their mm-hmm. shortcomings were. And I could justify horrible things that happened to them or were happening to them. And I just can't do that anymore. And so now you have to go, okay, well, is there a system in play? And and that's where you talk about your Enneagram thing where you you need a system to feel just. If the system isn't just, then you you go into chaos and you're willing to fight that. So mm-hmm. once I realized some of the systems I was in, even in a religious way, were there was an injustice at play. It was hard for me to go. I I can I can look the other way. I, I couldn't do that anymore. So I don't know. That's a lot. Yeah. No. I, I think you're right. I don't need the system to be per, to be perfect. I do need it to be built upon just things or constantly tending to itself. I think the best systems are the ones that tend to themselves. You know, it's funny you'd, you'd say that because if you use the example of death row or, or use the criminal justice system, which is a hot, a hotbed topic on this whole social justice, social Marxism, CRT, right? Um, woke Christians, like all of these labels that get thrown around for anybody who seems to want to say, hey, maybe there's may, – maybe maybe – the mass incarceration of young black men should be something we look at mm-hmm. as not just a series of individual choices. Is there something else going on here historically informing that? Uh, is Are there things because it's a pattern now that others get swept up into perhaps because, again, they don't have the money to defend themselves rightly. I do know from being in lawsuits that – Having the ability to afford a certain attorney is yeah. is a is an advantage. Uh, there's a reason that every one of these political yeah. court cases right now have high priced attorneys. Yeah, you know, there's a reason. Even if you're injured on the road, that you want to get the injury attorney that gets the most money because the attorney makes a difference. And mm-hmm. so, um, but what's and where I get caught. If you want to go in, this is my probably my five wing. I know we're going very Enneagram today. Sorry, but that's the part of me that needs data. That's the part of me that needs charts. It's the part of me that needs knowledge and finds some some level of like, hey, this will all be right if I can understand it. Mm-hmm. And then where I get kind of bent out of shape, I think, on all this is, for example, those who are like, hey, the justice system's doing its job. You know, this is this is the justice system's doing its job. It's all about individuals and choices. Uh, let's trust. Let's trust the justice system. <clears throat> let's trust what the judges are saying. You know, are right now the same people that are saying the seventy-one courts across the nation who have, in some form or fashion, heard evidence either dismissed or ruled that they have found no fraud or no breaking of the law in yeah. the election. We are supposed to not believe those judges, right? Because well, they didn't really hear the evidence. And I'm going. Well, what do you think they heard? Yeah. Like you think they just walked in and we all just talked. And there were in some cases where they said, "Hey, this evidence is not presentable," right? Because you don't. But there are a lot of them where they have heard evidence show us. And again, I, I'm just speaking specifics. I'm not 
someone's going to think right now I'm getting political. Like this is legitimately where my mind goes. I'm going, how can we say that the justice system should be adhered to when we're talking about mass incarceration or uh, these systemic issues that are affecting us racially in our country? And then because we don't like the outcome of the election, say that these – it was 60. Now it's up to 71. I looked this week. 71, and there's 100 cases total, and 71 have been resolved. Mm-hmm. And not one. I would think if there was some true like fraud, surely someone – I want to find it, by the way. If it's there, I want to find it. Yeah. And a lot of these judges are Trump-appointed judges, a conservative judges. And a lot of people don't understand, again, that the Supreme Court – Saying we're not going to rule on this is because they've heard the preliminary evidence and saying there's not enough here right. for us to make a real case. That is a ruling in and of itself. And so, like, I want to say I don't – that's where I get bent out of shape. You, you can hear my voice getting louder. I go, hey, everybody, logically that doesn't make any sense that we we just want this to work for us based upon our desired outcomes, which is a perversion of justice. That's the definition. Justice doesn't right. decide outcomes. It says we hear evidence and we try to get it. So if we've heard evidence and, and this is the thing in place by the Constitution, again, if we're constitutionalists, if this is the thing in place by the Constitution to protect us if there's fraud in an election. So yet it's not that we want to say there was none. There are always is to some extent. We're saying this has been – Statistically, something not affected the election if they found any any inconsistencies and no one has found any like widespread fraud that affected it. And at some point I want people to go, hey, if I trust the justice system, I trust this one, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care who won. I mean, God's honest truth in that respect. Like this is for me not about outcome. It's about like process. Hey, if Trump actually won the election, he should be the president. I'm, I'm down for that. Like I, I don't. And now one more thing on this of how it logically – this is where I think, again, this all spawns from the conversation about how I end up getting – sounding self-righteous or dismissive or one-sided. I was going to say you coming off pretty and I'm just (laughs) Well, I get that way because (laughs) my mind starts snowballing in this logical place and I have to learn to do better with that. But I guess I'm being vulnerable on the podcast to say why it does that. Yeah. Like this is where it goes. Like here's what I can't understand. And I asked someone this week, so let me get this straight. If Trump would have won the election, then you do trust the justice system and you trust the election process. Right. How, why? If you're saying we can't trust the election process, why, would it, why right. is it you would have trusted it if one of the candidates would have won and not the other? And, and this is what gets me is that idea is planted in your head because even in 2016, Trump said, if I don't win, it's because it's rigged. Yeah. Because he was fraud. laying the groundwork. He laid the groundwork, which is a ridiculous thing to say, and we just let it go by. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter who it is, like you can't just say the reason we know this is not right is because I didn't win. And so right now we're defending that thought process, which is the offensive. I don't care who it is or what party it is. Like I want to go, guys. How would you know to trust the election if he would have won? If you're now saying you can't trust the election because he did not, that's not logical. Yeah. That that that's a deconstruction that you've not pulled everything down on. You gotta pull it all down and let all things be equal, or else it's not justified deconstruction. There's no justice in it. Okay, sorry, Johnny, I went on a little rant. <sighs> oh man. I think we learned a lot about ourselves. <laughs> and I'm terrified. I don't, I don't know. I mean again, it's not it, it, how does that affect the gospel? 
you know, for me as a pastor, I had this conversation today. Why in the world is a pastor talking about this? Because I'm not getting into politics. Politics got into church. Yeah. And, and we have to like have some way to go, hey, does that affect God's ways? You bet it does. If you can't think, the Old Testament is filled. It even says, don't show partiality to a poor person in court just because they're poor. That's, that's a scripture. Like just because they're poor doesn't mean that they're innocent or guilty. Right. So don't discriminate against them because they're poor, but don't show partiality. In order for this to work, if you're going to really judge the matter at hand, you got to let what happened happen. And so, like, you, you got to get rid of all those those things. And I'm sure we all have some level of um, right. well, like an bias, over, yeah, or like overcorrection, yeah. Which you're you you know you've seen that to some degree with like uh, we've talked about that before. I mean, a year ago or so when the Me Too movement happened, of like. There became this thing of like, believe all women. I was like, hold on. Listen to all women. Listen to all women. Let's hear the story. Let's find out. Let's, but this idea that like no woman would ever falsely accuse, it's like now we've overcorrected to the other. It's like, come on. Yeah. And again, the overcorrection resulted from a, a righteous problem to address, which is those who don't believe any women. Right. Right. And just always assume there's yeah. a lie. So the reason they're over – and that's where empathy comes in, I think, where I say, okay, I understand why somebody said that. I think to say what could it's, – it's kind of like the expression Black Lives Matter, okay? Like from a logical standpoint, the whole all lives matter. And someone told, today told me it's like, it's like the idea of your wife saying, do you love me? And you're like, baby, I love everybody. <laughs> case closed <laughs> which that includes you you know it's like no no but do you love me so the context is everything yeah so the context believe all women absolutely i i i think that's right like hey if you say this we need to take it seriously and we need to not assume you're lying just because we have a this narrative that women just want to lie about this yeah so like I understand the overcorrection, and I don't want to get caught in this, like so much of the semantics. Somebody this week was like, "Well, you know, they're worried that the church is a woke church or whatever." They're about some a church, and I'm like, "Okay." For a second, I would ask this question: Did you come up with the term "woke"? Well, no, I didn't. Okay, then who is telling you that you should be worried about your church being woke? Right. I want to get like, are you asking the question behind this? Is the deconstructive question? Are you going behind it here? Who's telling you that's something you need to be wary of if you hear X, X, and X? Now, what are the things they're telling you to, that are X, X, and X? Mm-hmm. Is your pastor using the word social justice? Is that what it is? Is that that they're talking about racism right now? Is it they use the expression Black Lives Matter? Like, if like what is your checklist someone gave you to say, ding, 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 that's woke, that's social Marxism, that's CRT, right. that's run, whatever. Run right. into the arms of the other you know, fundamental independent Baptist church that won't ever say those things. Right. right? Like who's telling you that? Are you are you vetting them? Yeah. Are you vetting what that is? Why are they telling you that? And probably they told you something that was easy for you to to hear, because it already then brought credibility to something you were feeling uncomfortable or awkward or afraid. Yeah. Or, if they can make the big bad words go away yeah. just by saying, "Well, they shouldn't even be talking about that." From the way. oh, thank God, it, it, it like it makes yeah. you feel better. You're like, I knew this felt weird for me to be confronting this. Yeah. Well, I saw somebody on Twitter. And they said, you know, there's the whole just preach the gospel yeah. idea. Like, we shouldn't be talking about this. If you're a preacher, just preach the gospel. That's what changes lives, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of those people who's been telling everyone else to just preach the gospel was, of course, tearing down some somebody who they consider to be social justice warriors in the church. Right. And people kept responding to that person, just preach the gospel. 
Like I call that, by the way, counter wokeness. Like you're so super woke to liberal wokeness that yeah. you have this somehow sixth sense about which pastors or leaders right. are caught up in liberal foolishness. And so you constantly cry woke. You're just being woke to somebody's wokeness. The boy who cried woke. The boy who cried woke. Be. Man, that's oh. my book. Bro. Oh my goodness. You think any, no one will steal it because this is a private conversation. Yeah, there's no way anyone. <laughs> I never worry about somebody stealing a book. You know why? Most people don't want to take the time to write they it. They don't want to write a book. Steal a song? Sure. Still a, a bit all day long. But I'll I could do it. sell the idea to somebody. Oh, if you can life. find someone to buy the idea, then do it, and then I'll sue both of you, and I'll split <sighs> the profits with you later. But but I came. I bet you led me down the path. But I'm the one who said the boy who cried woke. You know what I'm saying this is kind of like that sitcom that we wrote that time. <laughs> I had the idea, and you like named the perfect name, and then you ran from me, and you never will write it with me. Just, just write a pilot, dude. Just no, write the pilot. No, I don't know. Do Jerry acting. <laughs> it's so good it's a big easter egg we have to go back like 20 30 episodes to even find out what that is guys what it is is i'll no. tell you real fast uh. there's a guy he's like in his 20s right. good looking guy college student why does it got to be good looking guy because it's tv oh okay yeah and so <laughs> he's he's so these guys aren't gonna be played by us he's <laughs> <laughs> that's you're just letting the audience know these will be actors these will be actors he's okay. he's you know a struggling guy just finished his undergrad he's about to go to graduate school but he has a really rich grandfather mm. so the guy's name is jerry and his grandfather's also named jerry and he's jerry the third okay and he's he's up north somewhere and he's moving uh to live <laughs> In one of these, he's going to live with his grandfather, who's yeah. loaded, is going to pay for grad school. And he's moving down to live with him in one of these retirement communities. And so he signs all the paperwork. He's coming down. And he finds out the day he's moving that his grandfather died. Okay. okay. He's never seen his grandfather in this, you know. Right. And so uh, he doesn't know what he's going to do. He can't pay for college. And nobody really knows about their arrangement. Nowhere to live. And so he has this aha moment. Right. And he decides to move into his grandfather's apartment. And but he has to pretend to be old. He has to pretend to be pretend his to grandfather. Be Jerry the first. He's now Jerry the first instead of Jerry the third. And he keeps getting the checks because he can cash him so all this stuff. He puts the wig on. Yep. And he's he is now living as an old man in the retirement community, going to school, coming back. And Johnny, the hijinks are endless. Yeah. Because they keep almost catching does him he, with his costume on. Does he? Is he the old guy at college too? No. No, the old guy's only at home. He's young right. Jerry. Just has he's, to remember. He's out with his he girlfriend. Keeps confusing or the double life. Yeah, the double life. So he goes to all these like you know social. It's a very active. But the old community. ladies are hitting on him yep. too because he's like the young old guy. He's a young old guy, and they don't know that. Here, oh, Jerry the third, by the way, Jerry the first. I mean, had just moved into that community, so no one's oh, ever met him there. Right. So they just assume he's. He's yeah. the grandfather. They don't know exactly what he right. looks like. Of course, he has a girlfriend who he can't let in on this. He has a best friend who is let in on about halfway through the first season. And so, because someone has to help him keep up yeah. with all of the changing costumes and stuff. So he's got the problem with, with grad school. We've got to figure out what his profession is. What is he studying to be? Maybe like, like a geriatric doctor or something. This is very bosom buddies. It's bosom buddies. Yeah. But it's like for old yeah. It's sagging bosom buddies. Instead of it, <laughs> listen, you couldn't do bosom buddies today. John, sagging bosom buddies. <laughs> We're not editing that out. <laughs> but no, this would be like, I don't see, besides ages, I don't see anything yeah. would be that. And, and again, you'd have to really, if you got the wrong writer, that'd be Sony Viagra. Right, Jones, a lot of, yeah, write. a lot of, yeah. So, but you know, you'd have to, we, we, we would probably write it we more keep it classy. smart, we keep it sophisticated. Yeah. We wouldn't say things like sagging bosom buttons. Right, would not say that. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, don't, I think you could play the friend. I don't think, I think you could uh, play the friend. What is that? I can't, okay. Yeah, like I I'll think you could be, have a part. I've got an essence to me, yeah. and that essence is... 
the best friend that's like an expositional. You're going where? Right. Like I'm that guy. <laughs> well, no, you're constantly. You're, what are you, crazy? Yeah. You can't. Yeah. And you need it. Yeah. I'm telling you. And the name of the show is Jer- Jerry Acting. Jerry Acting. Yeah. And so this came with us on a flight somewhere. Johnny, who knows who came up with the real idea? I think uh. it was me and you put a name to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be, listen, guys, I'm serious. We brought it up before. If yeah. you're if you're a television producer. We need to go fund me for this. You let me know. Because John only writes for cash now. That's the problem. No. You would never write like a passion project or you'd already written this. You need a deposit. It's not that. It's that I, I have written a movie one time and it didn't get made yeah. uh, off of a book that I wrote. And so I do know a little bit about screenwriting, but that Lion was King movie 3. screenwriting. What was the movie? Uh, it was for a book called The Boy Born Dead. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I wrote a, I wrote a screen prep, a screen prey, a screenplay. <laughs> Man, these, these Christian films are getting intense. It's <laughs> <laughs> called Screen Prey. Yeah. And there was a producer in Hollywood yeah. that kind of coached me a little bit on, on some of it. And I read some, I don't know, you gave, you gave me a book on screenwriting. I kind of, screen- Oh, right. Uh, Save the Cat. Yeah. So, um, but I, so this is way out of my element. It'd be better if a screenwriter was listening. Yeah, like I don't a sit, know. Though, but sitcom, then we got like a split. showrunner. We need like a showrunner, sitcom, like veteran. Then we got to split all the profits, though. But that's okay. It's not being. There's no well, profits right now. No. But we and need someone. You're going to have to submit some resumes. Like we're not just going to do this. Yeah, don't just walk into our office and think you right. can just. Yeah, I've always wanted to write a movie too. Yeah, that's us already. Yeah, we already have that. We need a professional. Yeah, we uh, need professional help. Is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> what was your old joke? You say that, and that guy told me, it was it was your it was your um um. Oh, it was when we were doing the missions uh, thing, and we were talking about all inclusive missions. Yeah, yeah, we came up with our we we felt like we were called to the resort community of Cancun, <laughs> and our ministry is called All Inclusive. And you'd say, guys, and I'd say I came to our presbyter, and uh, he, no, but it gets, he, didn't set up before you tell that that punchline. You, oh, you would you would always be you had all the stuff in between. You'd be like. uh Guys, we found out that there were some people that they're they're cramming 1,200, 1,300 people into one building. You know, you, <laughs> All right, and I show a big like hotel on yeah, the strip. It was know. like, and, and there are over twelve hundred people living in this one building. Can you believe this? <laughs> and they're some only, of them are some of them are paying for Wi Fi, <laughs> and they're only drinking what others can bring to them. Yeah, and I show like a concierge bringing like a <laughs> so, yeah. fruity umbrella drink. Sorry, then you said I don't. Oh, and then I said uh, I talked to our presbyter in about like raising money for this. And he was all on board. I remember he specifically said, Johnny, get some help. And that's why, that's why I'm that's here today, to get help from you. Oh, that's great. That's great. All-inclusive. Wow. Well, that could happen. We had a logo and everything built for that one. We should make a commercial for that. I think I think it'd be funny. You know, now in the age of... So we, we made that kind of before you would have put that out. Did we do like some lines that we learned? I did some like... Spanish, but it was really just like broken English. Yeah, it was me translating and it was for you. You translating, and uh, one of them was like, uh, "My jet ski is out of gasoline." Yeah, <laughs> um, my jet ski. My jet ski. I was, I was like, I was trying to be very. <laughs> and I would just say the same thing. My jet ski. Gosh, my jet ski. That's funny, guys. And we hope that this show has given you some help today. Uh, you know, we feel like you guys need help too. <laughs> We were ourselves, and uh, we had fun. Yeah. And we talked. I love that bit, man. That bit cracked me up. Like I want the old stuff, Johnny. I want. Well, look, vintage. There's no way to know. You know, maybe I'll bring it back, John. Vintage. So, hey, you can also go back and listen to our archives and find vintage. Talk about that episodes. There's all kinds of things out there for you. You can go to our website. 
talkaboutthatpodcast.com. And you can uh, find all the ways to listen, to subscribe, to leave reviews, to follow us on social media, to leave us uh, questions. There's yeah. all kinds of things you can do there. You be can go, a donor. Yep. You can go a donor at our Patreon page. You can go be a patron there. Patronize us. Yeah. Thanks to all of uh, our patrons who continue to support us. So you guys should go check it out and uh, send us more topics, things you want us to talk about, questions you have. Uh, we're vulnerable, but we're also open you know, to suggestions. So anything that you uh, would like to. Uh, this is a safe place. Yeah. John. We may not take them. No. But you can ta- you can give them. Yeah. Yeah. It's not safe like uh, like a safe house. It's more safe like a straitjacket. <laughs> it's to keep you from harming yourself. <laughs> you know? That's funny. That's funny. They still do straitjackets, I'm assuming. I don't know. Remember Michael Scott trying to get out of the straitjacket? <laughs> Jim put his foot over the key when he dropped it out of his mouth. Remember that? <laughs> 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 he could. That so hey, guys, we appreciate you listening. We'll see you next week on Talk About That. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.